3: I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right.
0: The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation.
6: This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: And hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into hour two of our three-hour tour, known as the Tom Sumner Program, this is going to be a really fun one for me. It's going to feel almost like a Friday. My uh, my guest this hour is, um, by profession, a um, forensic anthropologist and author, and it's. Uh, her life and career on which the uh, long-running Fox uh, television hit series Bones is based, and she has a new book, the 20th novel in the best-selling Temperance Brennan series called The Bone Code by Kathy Reichs, who joins me by phone. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me.
5: You know, I just scratched the surface on that introduction, and I feel like it's one of the longest ones I've done in quite a while. (laughs) Um, Uh Kathy, how do you keep it all straight? You are, in fact, a forensic anthropologist, and there aren't an awful lot of people in that field. There certainly weren't when you started, let alone women in the field. And you've uh, taught and lectured and uh, investigated big sites like the the ground zero after September 11th and at the same time you've written 20 novels and you are one of the producers of the TV show based on your own life. How, how do you find time to talk to me?
1: Well <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, well the show is out of production so we're still on air. I think we're on Hulu and what, TNT or something? Well, I've had
5: some time to go back and watch uh, old episodes uh, thanks to Hulu.
1: (laughs) It's a good one to binge. Yeah, it's a fun show to binge. So I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm really focusing on, on writing, on writing the Temperance Brennan novel. There was a time I was Writing a screenplay each year, I was writing a young adult novel with my son Brendan, and I was writing the Temperance Brennan books. So that was a lot. So I'm glad I've pulled back on some and doing casework. <clears throat> so I'm glad I now can just focus on writing the Temperance Brennan books.
5: And now, now I'm caught up in a little bit of a paradox here because. In the books, you write about Temperance Brennan, who's also featured in the Bones television show, and and she writes books about Kathy Reichs. Yeah, and, yeah and that was the idea. And I'm a little
1: confused by that. <laughs> but how it's much? Very meta.
5: How much is the is the television Temperance different from? The novel Temperance?
1: Well, there are differences, and I think of Book Tempe and TV Tempe. TV Tempe is younger. Um, She's in Washington, D.C., rather than Book Tempe, works in the Carolinas primarily and in Quebec, up in Montreal, Um, whereas Book Tempe works at the Jeffersonian Institution. Book Tempe writes books about, as you said, the fictional anthropologist Kathy Reichs. That was the idea of our showrunner uh, and creator, Hart Hanson. We thought my readers would get a kick out of that. So there are differences, but the core idea, the the character, and that this is a very smart woman, that she's a scientist, that she's passionate about her work, um, that she wants to bring justice to the dead and resolution for the living. Um, that's the core idea of. both the books, the character in the books, and um, on television.
5: In the books, you draw a lot from your own personal experiences as a forensic anthropologist. Um, How how do you avoid Mm -hmm. any confidentiality concerns?
1: I do take bits and pieces from cases. I never take a whole case uh, verbatim and I only use material that's already out there either through court, uh, court transcripts or it's been in the media already and I take bits and pieces of uh, the situation and then I change everything. I change all the names and the dates and the places um, both for legal and ethical reasons.
5: How did you get started writing these books? You had written acad- academic things before.
1: Right. And I'm um, a full professor at the university, um, so I was, which is the highest rank you can attain. So I was free to try something different. And I had just worked on a serial murder case with some very interesting elements. So I had the idea for a story, and um, I had the freedom to try something new. So that all came together, and um, I started the first book, Deja Dead, in 1994, and I was teaching full-time and commuting between um, two countries to do casework, so I had to write it, you know, in my off hours. I I would get up very early in the morning, and I would write before going onto campus, and I would write on weekends, I would write on vacations, I would write in the summer, (laughs) so it took two years to write that first book.
5: And how long does it take to put a book out now?
1: Well, by contract, um, I now have a book due each year. So, yeah, it's a a little quicker.
5: But but you probably have a rhythm to writing now.
1: I do have, yeah, I do have a rhythm. Um, I'm much better at writing in the morning. I'm not someone who can, you know, write late into the wee hours. Um, I'll put in a good solid, you know, five hours or so starting in the morning, and uh, once I wrap it up, then I go and I I do other things. Um, But I do have a rhythm. I have a way of doing it, um, creating each chapter as a separate file, and then once I've fully edited it, I add it to a master file. You know, so all of that, I do have all of that kind of set and worked out.
5: Do you have a fairly strict outline when you start a book, or does the story just kind of unfold almost as if it was telling itself?
1: you're asking me, am I a pantser or a plotter, as we say, Um, (laughs) I'm more of a seat of your pants. Um, I will outline maybe the first six to 10 chapters, and then I just start writing. I know where it's going. I know who my characters are. Um, I know what the ending's going to be. I know what science it's going to be that'll, because I write murder mysteries, but the difference is uh, the solution is, is driven by forensic science. So I know all of that in advance. And then what I do is I create an outline, kind of a post-mortem outline. As I finish each chapter, I put a little synopsis into the outline. So by the time I have finished writing the book, I have an outline of the book. But it's been done kind of backwards.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can you... Right on command, and, and, and I'll just tell you this, it wasn't one of my interviews, unfortunately, but I heard an interview with uh, Stephen King once, and he was asked, uh, mm-hmm. do you write to a muse, or do you write to a schedule? And he said, oh, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. Um, <laughs> are, are you able to do that, to just sit down and and write? Yeah
1: yeah you have to um i i think it came from the way i wrote the first book if i had some free time i had to sit down and write and use it so i'm very disciplined um i do and steve and i approach it a little differently he once said to me just get it all down and put it in a drawer go away and then come back and edit it um i can't do that i edit, <laughs> edit edit constantly as i go So, yeah, the way we approach it is a little different. But it does take discipline. And even you can't edit a blank page. So you've got to sit down and you've got to, um, you know, again, I I keep saying self-discipline. But there are days you don't feel, even though I love writing, there are days I don't feel like doing it. Um, But I force myself to approach it like, you know, it's like a job. I sit down every morning at 8 o'clock and um, I write for five hours.
5: And you have the time to do that. Are you not working uh, cases as much?
1: Not as much. When it came to the point where I was writing a screenplay and writing a young adult book and writing an adult book and commuting doing cases, something had to give. So I I eased out of the casework, and really now I just focus on the writing.
5: And, and you said the crimes uh, in these... Uh, Mysteries, these thrillers are, are all solved using forensic anthropology. How often are crimes solved in, in your real work as a forensic anthropologist by
1: the work that you've done? Yeah, the, bo- the, the crimes are solved in the books through forensic science. And Ah, I use lots of different, yeah, different aspects, whether it's toxicology or, I don't know, mitochondrial DNA analysis or whatever, blood spatter pattern analysis. Um, I can't say what percentage of cases are solved, certainly not as high a percentage as television shows (laughs) and crime novels would, would suggest. But I'm part of a team. I'm one person, and I work on physical evidence. And the physical evidence I work on is the victim him or herself the body the bones you know the dismembered limbs whatever that's what I work on but I work as part of a team and others on the team you know my uh, the forensic pathologist the forensic dentist the forensic toxicologist lots of different people the hair and fiber people perhaps the you know the fire and arson people um, and I'm lucky because I interact with those people And when I need to use their expertise in a book, I can, you know, pick up the phone and and just talk to them.
5: (laughs) Reminds me of something uh, Mary Higgins Clark told me one time. She said she had a tough time with technology. And I said, well, how do you write about technology in in your books? And she says, I got a guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember P.D. James once said to me, I write my books and then I give it to a young man who puts it on something called a disc.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. How did you get started in forensics and, and anthropology? And did, they, did your interest start simultaneously or did you start in anthropology and then take, get an interest in forensics?
1: Yeah, I started in uh, bioarchaeology. My Ph.D. dissertation was, was, came out of working with ancient archaeologically recovered remains. And um, I planned to do that for the rest of my professional career. Uh, I wrote a short story. It appeared in a volume called uh, The Bone Collection. short story was called First Bones, and it's Temperance Brennan's origin story. And it's my origin story. Um, She's in her lab one day. She's working on archeological material and cops show up and they want her help on a modern case, a modern forensic case. So she agrees to help them um, as I did. And uh, when I started doing the forensic work, I just found it very compelling to the relevance of it. I love archeology, span but if you're wrong, you're not going to impact anyone's life. But when you're doing forensic work and you identify a missing family member or you testify in court, you are going to impact lives. So I, I really liked that. Um, I went back. I retrained in forensics because there are a lot of skills in forensic anthropology you don't necessarily have or need in uh, Bioarchaeology. And uh, I took my board certification exams, and I've been doing the forensics ever since.
5: Kathy, I need to put a comment here. I have to go to a break. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
5: Great. My guest is uh, Kathy Reichs, and she is the uh, forensic anthropologist on which uh, the character Temperance Brennan is based in her books and on the Fox TV show, Bones. We're going to talk uh, some more with Kathy after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. We'll be right back.
4: Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
7: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio
5: Show. And welcome back, everybody. (coughs) Excuse me. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to continue my conversation with the author of um, the latest, the 20th novel in the best-selling Temperance Brennan series called The Bone Code, Um, my guest is Kathy Reichs, and uh, she joins me by phone. Kathy, thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that.
1: No, that was fun to listen to. I haven't <laughs> been to Michigan in a while.
5: Um, Kathy, the the TV show Bones, of course, is, is based on you and your books um, and is, is named for Temperance. Brennan's nickname in the series um, she's referred to by her FBI partner Celie Booth as Bones did you have that nickname or was that nickname used in any of your books or is that a tv thing
1: that was just a tv thing that was uh the idea of Hart Hansen, our showrunner and the show creator
5: and how did, the, how did the show come about? I, I, I mean, I understand how you come up with this character, you know, based on your experiences um, for all of these best-selling Temperance uh, Brennan novels. But how did, how did it end up on television?
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I've had several approaches, and none of them seemed quite right. But when I met with Barry Josephson, one of our executive producers, and Hart Hansen, who came to be our showrunner, we all seemed to be on the same page. Um, we wanted a character-based show. We wanted to create characters people would be invested in and, and you know, would care about. We didn't want just another police procedural. We wanted, to put, we wanted to create a strong, passionate, smart female protagonist that could be a role model young women um, we wanted to put comedy we want to put humor into the show um, and that I do that in my books and that's a, that's a tough call because every episode every book is dealing with violent death so you really have to have a delicate touch not to be offensive so we were just all on the same page about that and they genuinely wanted my input um, So I optioned the character, and, uh, well, the rest is history. We're the longest-running scripted drama in the history of Fox. We had 246 episodes. So apparently people did like like our characters and, and, you know, did continue to follow them for 12 years.
5: I I have to admit I read somewhere that you appeared in one of the episodes and and maybe it, maybe it was more <laughs> yeah. than one was it just the one and which one was it I I have to admit I've been looking for it
1: <laughs> it, it was season 2 it was the episode called Judas on a pole it was the f- and when our um our showrunner, when Hart said, Kathy, why don't you appear? I said, no, that's not my thing. I'm not an on-camera kind of gal. And he said, well, David Duchovny's directing. And I said, okay, I'll be there. (laughs) It was, yeah. So I spent two weeks, and it was the first episode in which uh, Ryan O'Neill appeared. So um, I I appear at the very opening scene. I'm a very stern professor, and uh, Zach, one of our early interns, is sitting uh, his Oral defense of his thesis, and uh, Tempe and I are two of the professors sitting there, sternly looking at him and questioning him.
5: (laughs) I'm I'm going to have to go back and watch that episode just just to see you. (laughs) Um, And 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 no critical review or anything. I just um, okay okay. Was was that a uh, was that kind of a fun experience? It must be strange to see someone who is even loosely based on your life and career acting out the role, that that must be unusual. Are you used to it from the book characterizations?
1: Well, you're never quite used to television. Um, I had a great experience with the bones with television. I'm not one of these writers who's going to say they took my work and they ruined it. (laughs) <laughs> Emily Deschanel did a fantastic job with the character. Um, I think if you binged all twelve seasons, it, you'd be amazed at how she evolved that character over time. And we did a we did a fun thing. Um, what we did is a kind of a role reversal of the stereotypic roles of gender roles, because Temperance Brennan in the show is very strong-willed. She believes in logic. She believes in hypothesis formation and testing, typically seen as male traits. And then Seely Boo is the emotional one. He likes to lead with his gut and go with instincts, and he's uh, the religious one. So we kind of reversed those traditional stereotypic male-female roles, and we thought it would lend itself to um, good uh, comedy situations, which it did. The, the I think not only the chemistry, but between them, but the the comic the exchanges between them are are brilliant.
5: It, it is a, a lot of fun. It, just before the break, you were talking about um, how you got interested in forensics, and I wanted to talk about a couple of terms because you used. Um, archaeology and anthropology almost interchangeably. Are they?
1: No, they're not. Um, At least in the U.S., anthropology has four kind of subfields. One would be cultural anthropology, the type thing, Margaret Mead, you go off and you study another culture. Um, One would be linguistics, where you're looking at various languages and language groupings. One would be archaeology, where you're excavating and analyzing cultures from the past that are no longer around, usually. And then physical or biological anthropology is my specialty area, Um, and that could be more the physical and biological traits of of the human species. You might want to look at, study primates for that. You might want to specialize in the human skeleton. You might want to specialize in human genetics and population variations. So those are the four fields, and archaeology uh, is one of them.
5: And and then forensics, is is there more science in forensics than anthropology? In other words, is anthropology more of an art and forensics more of a science?
1: Well, it's more of a physical science, the hard science, where you can measure things and weigh things and photograph things, whereas cultural anthropology is more of a social science where you're studying behavior. And on the show, Tempe Brennan, TV Tempe, often makes fun of um, the social sciences because she really prefers the hard sciences.
5: And, And what about Kathy Reichs?
1: Well, I've got to go with her on that. I, <laughs> I like something, you know, I like something physical, um, you know, rather than something slippery like, I don't know, psychology or something.
5: <laughs> now, see, you sounded like TV Tempe there when you
1: call, yes, called did.
5: out psychology. <laughs> um, you also mentioned in the, in the previous segment that um, you are part of a team when a crime is being investigated and and your work is contributing to that investigation and that sort of made me realize that of course uh the tv Tempe is is part of a team it's it's kind of an ensemble cast clearly she is right. the the main character is that true in your books as well is there um is is there a booth is there a Zach. Is there an Angela?
1: Yeah, there. there is. Not as um, officially structured as on the TV show. She works with uh, a number of different uh, cops. Uh, Andrew Ryan is I, the, the closest parallel to uh, Seely Booth. He's a, a, a provincial, he's a uh, Quebec officer, a detective, I'm struggling for. Um, So she works very closely with him. But she also works with some city cops up in Montreal. And she also, down in the Carolinas, she works, one of my favorite characters is Skinny Slidell. She works with this (laughs) crusty old old guy that underneath it, he's pretty good, but he can be difficult to work with. So she does have her core cast. And then at the lab, there are some regulars. Um, She works with the medical examiner on both ends um so yeah but it's not where she's got this team of what were they five or six that officially work in the same lab.
5: And when you're um well I I guess what I, what I wanted to ask and I thought about a moment ago was you go back and forth between North Carolina and Montreal. How did that happen? How did that begin?
1: that began uh, and it will recommence once they open the border um, once people get out and get vaccinated um, it began with something called national faculty exchange um, an offer for this nfe came across a faculty meeting at because i was teaching at unc charlotte and uh, it's a program where a professor from one inner university changes places for a year with a professor from another and there was a, a gentleman at uh, one of the English language universities in Montreal who wanted to do that with my home school. So I had just taken a course in French, French 101. (laughs) So I said, of course, I speak French now, I can do this. So I applied and was accepted. So I went up there for that one year and taught at Concordia and McGill Universities. And uh, it was during that time that the medical-legal lab for the province was looking for someone who was board-certified and who could work in French. So um, I think there was a pool of one, and I got the job. So at the end of that week, we just struck up an arrangement whereby I could fly, back, fly up there every six weeks or so and work on the, on the anthropology cases.
5: And and there was uh, kind of a big one. I, I I read something about it, but I didn't get enough details to really be able to explain which one it was. But is is there a case that you worked on that, that really stands out?
1: Oh, gosh, there were so many. Um, the first book is based very loosely on a serial murder case, uh, a gentleman named Serge Archambault, who was stalking women, keeping notebooks on women, and then killing them so fortunately he was caught and uh, one of his victims had been buried for two years so that's the one i i helped recover and analyze and testified at his trial so i remember that one and i used some elements of that for the book for, for the first book
5: there was a case in, and i was wondering if if you had uh, gotten involved in it at all in montreal a few years ago it's been well it's probably been 15 years ago, um, at least 10, where uh, a body was dismembered and parts were mailed to different, um, the, the two yes. national parties. Yes. Uh, do you know the case I'm talking about? Because I have a friend who I, uh, does travel radio true. based in Montreal, and we ended up talking about that case because it was kind of unusual for Montreal.
1: Well, it was. He had an odd name. He was an odd Kid, I can picture. And he had bleach blonde hair. He had killed his lover, I think, and then dismembered his lover and nailed the head to a school and made something else to a political figure, I think. Uh, I'll think of his name as soon as we as soon as we hang up. But yeah, I believe he's in jail in uh, in Canada. Did did you he work on it? Yeah. I did not work on that case. That one occurred in um. I, I think he may have been from Montreal, but the crime occurred in Toronto in a different province. I
5: think. Yeah, but the but the parts that were mailed to the the two major parties and uh, mm. uh, a couple of other government places, a school, as you mentioned, there were several yeah. different places that received parts, yeah. and it took a while to figure out that the parts were all from the same from the same victim I I just I just wonder that's the only case that I'm familiar with in Montreal but um, getting back to uh, to the new book the uh, the bone code it's the 20th novel in the best-selling Temperance Brennan series by Kathy Reichs and the this newest book i i I guess what i'm saying is are all of the stories that you put together um and and craft for for temperance brennan are are they all based on cases that you've worked on are they ripped from the headlines um
1: yeah it's a combination how do you keep
5: it new every time
1: That's just it. You have to come up with new ideas. How does any writer keep it new every time they write? You know, another book. Um, This one was more ripped from the headlines. It. It. it, I don't know if we talked. Did we talk about this? I read this article about a Chinese scientist who uh, went ahead against all ethical agreements. uh, Now that we know the human genome and we have tools for modifying it, he went ahead and did that with two unborn babies, which everyone in the scientific community had agreed we would would not do. Um, so I read that article and I thought, well, what if someone did that, took this knowledge of human genomics and took the technology of CRISPR, it's called, and modified the genome for, um, nefarious reasons. So that's really what triggered me thinking about, um, gene manipulation and the themes that, that run through this book.
5: How did you get interested in, um, Working with with bones and and identifying remains, It seems it's kind of a turnoff to a lot of people, Kathy.
1: Well, it is, but you just keep in mind that it, it's not for everybody, obviously. And I don't just work with bones; I work with uh, could be any time the identification is is beyond the ability of the pathologist who's doing the regular autopsy. It could be burned, mutilated, mummified decomposed, dismembered or it could be just bones. Um, so if you can't deal with that, if you can't deal with the you know the smells, the maggots, the, then it's not the field for you. So it takes a certain psychological makeup. Um, you learn that as a student. you learn whether this is something that will um, interest you that, that you can deal with the, the work circumstances or not.
5: You know, we hear all the time, mostly in, in TV crime shows, um, when they're having trouble identifying a body, especially a body that maybe was burned beyond recognition, as they say, that dental records usually provide the identification. Is is that a real thing? Is that mm-hmm. typical? Is, yeah, that, that's the first, is that the usual suspect?
1: That's the first step, if you've got teeth. Um, you know, there were periods in, for example, in Quebec, we would have many, many bodies come in that had had no dental work. They'd never seen a dentist. Or there was a period when, you know, part of your dowry was that your father paid to have your teeth pulled out before your wedding. So you were fitted with dentures. So, you know, you can't always uh, use forensic dentistry, or maybe what's been recovered doesn't include the teeth. You know, maybe it's a partial skull or it's just a body without a skull. So you can't always use forensic dentistry. Um, another b- new, relatively new, of course, in the last 15, 20, is DNA. You know, if you've got soft tissue or even if you've got bone, you can extract DNA for an ID, but it's useless in a vacuum. You need something to compare it to. So, um, yeah, so that's another first step. Uh in an identification
5: process when you were talking about uh getting the the u.s canada border open back up again and you mentioned you know if people would get vaccinated what what do you think kathy when you see people that deny the efficacy of of vaccines or that deny science
1: i you know i i just shake my head i'm it's just baffling it i don't understand it we've vaccination is not new we've been vaccinating since what when was polio the the 1950s 1960s we've been using vaccines who gets polio anymore who gets smallpox anymore this is not new why are people so distrustful i don't understand it
5: Kathy, did you know when you wrote the first book um, that, or or even that first short story, uh, the 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 Temperance uh, Brennan origin story, that this was going to be a, a series?
1: Oh no! Um, because I had no training in writing, and I'd never written fiction. I was a completely unknown first-time author, debut author. Um, So I just tried to write the kind of book that I like to read. Um, And at that point, I just hoped I could finish the book and, you know, submit it to a publisher, that a publisher would like it enough that they'd publish it, and then people would like it enough that they'd buy it and read it. I was not looking ahead towards a 20-book series or 22-book series.
5: Does... Does the series run sequentially, or um, are they all standalone novels?
1: Each each one is a self-contained story, so you can certainly read each one as a standalone. They are chronological, I suppose, because I wrote them, you know, in chronological order. <laughs> um, oh, you know, over the last two decades. But um, you can pick anyone up, and I reintroduced... Briefly, at least, the the main premise and the characters, and so anyone could pick one up.
5: And uh, has your temperance evolved as, as the TV temperance evolved?
1: Yes. I mean, you have to keep your character evolving, or people are going to kind of get bored with her. So in each book, she's you have your A story. This is what's similar to writing a screenplay and writing a novel, is you have your A story, which is your main story, which in the case of the show or the books is the crime. You know what is what is going on with the crime, but then you have your B story, your secondary story, which involves something going on in the lives of your in the life of your main character, and uh, your C story, your third level story. May Im- involve something involved in, in the lives of others in, in the book. So you have to keep those things changing up. You can't just have her, although she's lived in the same place <laughs> for a long time now. Um, you do have to change her social relationships. You have to change the problems that she's dealing with. You have to change the um, the uh, the case that she's working on in each new book.
5: Kathy, I'm having so much fun talking with you, and and sadly, we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Do you have a website?
1: I do. It's Kathy Reichs, K-A-T-H-Y, R-E-I-C-H-S, dot com. I'm on Instagram, I'm on uh, Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. Twitter.
5: Well, Kathy, I've been really looking forward to this conversation, and it did not disappoint. You're a delight to talk with, and I, I hope maybe when uh, Novel 21 comes out that we'll, we'll talk again.
1: Well, I hope so, and I don't know if I mentioned it's tentatively titled Cold, Cold Bones.
5: No. Um, how far is that in the process, knowing how long these things cycle?
1: Yeah, not as far along as I should be. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a November 1st deadline, and I will make it. I will get a manuscript in by then.
5: I have no doubt. Kathy Reichs, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work.
1: Thank you so much. Have a good summer.
5: Take care. Again, Kathy Reichs, the... uh, uh, forensic anthropologist, on which the TV series *Bones* was based. She is uh, like the character Temperance Brennan, the author of now 20 best-selling uh, Temperance Brennan series. Or I, I suppose it will be 20 best-selling, because I'm sure this one will be a bestseller as well. And um, anyway, uh, the book, uh, the new book, is called *The Bone* code. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program coming up uh, after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned. Hello there, citizens.
0: Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner
5: program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out.
1: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Program.
7: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on The Tom
0: Sumner Program.
2: The doctor was looking at the x-ray and I asked him, what do you see? And he kept on looking at the x-ray as he said in French to me. I see bones. I see gizzards and bones and a few kidney stones. Among the lovely bones, I see hips and fourteen paper clips, three asparagus tips. Among the lovely bones, I see things in your peritoneum that belong in the British. Museum I see your spine And your spine looks divine It's exactly like mine Now doesn't that seem
9: strange
2: And in case You use pay telephones There's two dollars in change x-ray it's really remarkable isn't the lumbar vertebrae supposed to be connected to the clavicle well I know but it's got to take hey look what's in there look at that it's a stamp it's a 1922 McKinley ultramarine blue Within perfect perforations, I've got to get that out and put it in my collection. Look in there, there's printing. What does it say in there? U.S. certified grade A. Look at this, it's fascinating. See those little round things? You know what those are? Those are M&Ms. <laughs> Those people are right, they don't melt. <laughs> Among the This
0: was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Programme.
5: another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the
0: Brooks household.
7: Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible. It's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own?
0: Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm
7: here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time.
0: Now, here we are.
1: Oh, what a charming place this is.
0: Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. (gasps) Jim, look! What? Where?
7: There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead.
9: Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning.
0: Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Brand- Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office.
9: And you were there all morning?
0: Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had
7: written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented.
9: Hmm, well that remains to be seen. Apparently, Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish is spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish, D-O-C.
0: D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal.
9: Yes, sir? You don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials?
7: Well, I, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks' nickname.
9: Why,
0: it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. have You've got to believe me, Inspector.
9: It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady. Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then... then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks.
5: Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear... And now, back to our story.
7: How dare you arrest me! I was still on the train!
9: Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning?
5: Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five minute mystery.
3: My hands, I don't touch my face. I stay at home, shelter in place, social distance. Don't go to work. I wear a mask and gloves, I stay away from church. I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart That is the rule, And I pray for the day The kids can go back to I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Death of me, the death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find is sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors cause I'm sick of what I of so this quarantine's gonna be the death of me, the death of me. You know, they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill, and we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. What slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. (laughs) Of course, I immediately apologized (laughs) as soon as I regained consciousness.
2: Radio for a new generation. The Timesummerprogram.com. Summer program.com. The Timesummerprogram.com. Summer program.com. The Timesummerprogram.com. Summer program.com. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.